Aloha Maui Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Verkard, how you doing? Welcome to the Solar Coaster, episode 81, marching straight forward, uh, 19 shows to go to get to that uh, double digits or triple digits. What are we doing <laughs> you're here? So, you're, hundreds. You're, so counting, you're so counting down. Well, welcome to the coaster on this lovely, this is the Solar Coaster Black Edition, right? All right, Black <laughs> Friday. Everyone's out there just getting into it, buying buying the crazy stuff in the stores. Uh, yeah, I think kind of appropriate, too, like the, uh, the content we got here. We got a really great opportunity to speak with Eric Klom, who is a, uh, an attorney here in Hawaii, is big in the renewable energy space, and he's uh, writing a new book uh, that's titled Reversing Climate Change. And so he's uh, put a lot of energy into uh, figuring out a step-by-step and how do we go about doing this. So we're going to get a call in from him shortly. And then there's a great opportunity to look at a lot of news and events that are going on throughout the world right now, some really exciting things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 real news. This is generally a slow news day. We're going to uh, amp it up. Hopefully you folks are out there uh, not waiting in lines. Yeah, <laughs> we'll right. give you something good to listen to. Okay, so here on Black Friday, we'll get a chance to talk about renewable energy and trying to figure out how to save this planet. So, hey, let's jump into our news and or, or rather our housekeeping and then we'll get right out to news and events. Jay, what do you say? All right, do it. Sounds good. Okay, this is the Solar Coaster, folks, a renewable energy-themed talk show right here in lovely Maui County. We can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. on Kauai 1110 a.m. Also have some FM stations, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. Got a great website. Website is www.solar-coaster.com. You can go on there and listen live. I've been posting a whole bunch of new uh, pictures up there. Uh, we've actually linked in our Facebook stuff, so you can see the uh, all the bloggy stuff we throw out. Um, down the bottom of the front main page is our mailing list and um, question sign-up form, so you could do that. And of course, listen to all our previous shows, which is now stacking up to be quite a lot of content. Uh, we're on podcast platforms for iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You just search Solar Coaster. Our little yellow SC logo pops up, and you can load us up on your mobile device. There you go. Hey, the uh, Solar Coaster has been sponsored by a great stable of companies. Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonam Battery, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. Definitely want to uh, say a Oh, did I say Sonin Battery? Sonin. It popped out. You it's, did. It's right there. I wrote it too. <laughs> Sonin, excuse me. Uh, Sonin is no longer Sonin Battery. It's Sonin. Um, do you want to um, uh, make reference to Maui Solar Project? Uh, has a great uh, special offer right now for Black Friday. Uh, $1,000 off a standard-sized solar uh, plus battery system or $500 off a smaller NEM plus solar battery system. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention, NEM plus is the, the new program which everyone's excited about. If you have a solar system uh, under the NEM, program you can add solar battery or both to that to your home uh, which is pretty remarkable and an expedited time frame so uh, do check out uh, Maui Solar Project if you want to uh, claim that offer 269-2352 is their phone number that's 269-2352 all right Jay what do you say shall we jump right into our news and events Sounds like a plan. All I want for Christmas is a 90% efficient solar panel. What? <laughs> Heck yeah. What are you talking about? It, sound, it, sound, it sounds really cool. We've talked about this a lot. The theater, theoretical limit for silicon cells is about 28, 29%. This is laboratory performance, mm -hmm. right? Perfect world. Um, so how do they get to 90%? Well, obviously, you got to remove the silicon bit. Uh, so these new guys at... Um, Sova Solix is the name of the company. They're using carbon carbon nanotubes, which carbon nanotubes are awesome if you've ever researched it. Kind of an uh, to capture cool. a, a, a yeah, they make everything. When you get to say carbon <laughs> nanotubes in anything, it's cool. <laughs> but they, but they're able to capture a much broader portion of the whole electromagnetic spe hmm. spectrum. You know, all the stuff that we can't see, X rays, microwaves. Um, 
even near um, ultraviolets and stuff Whoa. like that. So looking at this, looking at the spectrum Whoa. that they're showing, they're they're actually going down to full wave conversion, which is like a huge, just a huge amount of power um, coming out of it, and and it's much larger much broader spectrum than than what the silicon is able to capture alone. Uh, they've been at this for quite a while. Um, obviously, the, I mean, the technology is based on the 1960s uh, rectifying antenna, which is which is can be very efficient. They have microwave antennas that are 97 percent efficient. So it's kind of been done in the real world already, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. specifically with microwaves. Um, really, really fun stuff. And I can't wait to see if they actually get into many into manufacturing these things. <laughs> you know, just to put this into context, and more efficiency means for a given amount of space, you're going to have more wattage, right? More power. So they uh, do sure. say in the middle of this article, company says they've demonstrated proof of concept in front of third parties that has touched 43% mm -hmm. efficiency. That would suggest a 72-cell solar module. Those are the longer ones that are typically used for commercial by, you know, about a foot. Near 860 yep. watts with a 90% would actually uh, pushing 1,700 watts. So in the industry, you know, we're looking at your average solar system, solar uh, panels about 300 watts, right? 350, maybe, you know, pushing 400 is kind of getting really, really uh, quite a bit. They're talking about 860 now with proof of concept and 1700 watts. Right. That's like, I know that's like a solar system back in the day. You know, that's, yeah, like that's, that's, all, that's a whole system, right? All the, all the panels across your roof. Um, the interesting <laughs> thing, of, the, interest, the best interesting thing about this though, is they said they can take and kind of modify the existing manufacturing um, machinery mm -hmm. that makes your LCD panel, like the, the LCD panel on your phone or okay. your computer or something like those flat panel TVs, taking that equipment and actually modifying it to produce these cells. So it's not like they're going and like generating a whole new manufacturing line. They're really Whoa. just buying some used equipment and Whoa. putting these things together. So, be, because yeah. it's so because it's so cheap, um, they're actually saying it can be um, 0 0.3, that's zero zero point three. so less than a cent, 0 0.3 cents a watt at volume. <laughs> that's free. That's great. Unbelievable. How, 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 does, how does that factor into your world? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I can't even, do, like, even consider that. It's just unbelievable. It, it's, I mean, it's like, it's like a factor, it's like a factor of 10. It's beautiful. Um, cheaper. That's beautiful. You know, and then <laughs> so of course, move, that, move your decimal place. that starts the conversation about uh, integrating uh, solar to electric vehicles in a kind of meaningful way in terms of like the power produced and how that can actually translate to miles Abs driven, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think it matters to everybody because you're always fighting how much roof space you have, where the exposure is, can you get enough sun? This gives you much higher energy density per square meter, square foot, right? So if you have a small amount of space, like the roof on your car, you can still get a lot more power out of it. All right, I'm ready to uh, pick up a used Tesla and just graphic wrap it with a PV and just have people constantly ask me if it's actually PV. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing it. It's over. <laughs> That's it's okay. the days come. All right. All right. Make it <laughs> you, wanted, you wanted to buy a bunch anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Next. Coming from the from, from the Verge, um, how solar panels could cool your homes while harvesting energy. Now this sounds familiar to me. It <laughs> sure does. I've been looking for his name in here. I don't see it popping up anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, not at, not at all, um, which is kind of interesting. So there's there's um, all objects lose heat to infrared radiation, right? They re they radiate heat if they're hotter than the surrounding environment. Now a lot of that heat gets absorbed by the atmosphere, uh, but certain wavelengths don't. And so depending on what the material is, these things are made of, you can actually radiate out into space. So you're you're getting rid of heat from mm -hmm. the planet entirely. Mm -hmm. The black box um, effect. Right? So is that what it's called? The black box effect. 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so published recently in the journal uh, Jewel, which is a scientific publication, uh, they created two scientists created a, a device that harvests solar on the top, but then has a radiative cooler underneath. Hmm. Um, so it will actually um, take this heat from the house, like mm -hmm. your air conditioning system, and radiate out into space. Hmm. which is cool underneath underneath the solar cell it's very very prototype looking i mean oh this should almost be in future focus because of it right um but said so the device can be heated up to 42 degrees fahrenheit above the ambient temperature so it can radiate quite a bit of heat i mean that that's a lot you know 42 degrees above ambient in a night and it's going to put you well above it. you wouldn't want to touch it <laughs> right <laughs> certainly right. certainly hot hot it's it's an emitter um but it sounds a little familiar we've we've one of our we have to in um the, what I was going to say, the um, interest of, of total disclosure, we have a sponsor, uh, Sundrum, which also has a device that mounts under your panel. And he's in Michael Interiors has specifically talked about this kind of effect. In fact, yeah. he thought that he, he, he goes to bed feeling happy at night, knowing that some of the radiation has gone off into space on every Sundrum install. <laughs> um, so this might. So he has a product that's actually on the market right now and can do this type of thing depending on how you plumb it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, so that yeah. exists, um, but very cool. Yeah, very. Uh, moving, yeah, moving, moving on because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, PV magazine, um, fifteen percent efficient solar windows. Yeah, I like this one a lot. What do you, uh, what, yeah. what do you know, what do you know about this? I mean, we've talked about the solar window thing before. Um, originally, they were they were this ugly brown color, like orangey brown, that you really wouldn't want on your windows because it just tints all the light inside. They've finally been able to get um, transparency. And uh, by changing the materials, and then they've actually been able to get um, in the lab more um, efficiencies by layering up different layers that are targeted at different spectra, right? Different, yeah. different wavelengths of, of light. Um, but they just received a nice grant from the U.S. Department of Energy for $1.3 million. They're going to continue developing this stuff, and they say they should be able to get to 15%. Yeah, Pretty soon. from eight to fifteen percent. I mean, when the the thing that's exciting about this, it's kind of a bit of a holy grail, right? Because there's so much surface area uh, that's available, sure. and it just changes the you know in urban areas where you're you, you know high density, you just don't have any kind of roof space for the energy you want to produce in those environments. So if you can right. integrate you know BIPV, building integrated photovoltaics to the to the to the windows, then you now you've got all this you know this this area to take advantage of, and uh, right. it, it's pretty awesome uh, when that does come come to bear. This was the eight percent last last time we talked about this i thought it was like in the four or five percent territory but eight percent to fifteen percent efficiency is a big deal so i wonder how long it'll take them to get there but i mean by the time they do they're talking about 120 percent the available space on buildings throughout the country we could actually have 120 percent of our energy generated just by the bipv alone so uh, well okay in, in in the lab they're already hitting 15 percent and they projected 18 percent but this is this is at volume they're supposed to do 18. um Eight, yeah, eighteen. I mean, if you can get eighteen percent off a window that's and it's transparent, that's regular solar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, pretty, pretty much regular cheap solar, right? Exactly that. Uh, very cool. But they did have a high production yield, and that's also very cool. So all this stuff is kind of coming down the pipe. I did go down the rabbit hole on this one, and uh, I was reading a lot of the comments. And I'm waiting for so one of the one of the people here is is actually saying I'm waiting for the the solar cement. Solar and, cement and pavement, and pavement, so I can do the outside ah. of the entire outside of the building and get a new driveway. Right. Well, that sounds like a good idea too. I kind of like that. Well, Except if you park on your driveway, you'd, you'd be even to charge your electric car, you'd be 
losing your production. You know, this anyway. this this show is <laughs> this show is about climate change, and we're going to dig into this in a little bit. And you know, we, we definitely wanted to look at some of the technology that's out there, showing that there are some technical solutions, perhaps, right, that we can kind of move towards. And it's getting more and more aggressive. I look at this, and I see three core technologies here that are really, you know, each one of them is kind of game changing. From yeah, uh, there's 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 a lot of people out there doing a lot of development, and we've we've been talking about it before. Silicon keeps getting incrementally better but there's so much other high crazy new technologies that aren't necessarily ready for commercial application but they're getting close right yeah, I mean, you just put a, put a, put just those three technologies together, and you know, we're in a completely different space. So, hey, um, yep. let's see. Where is the next piece of this that you want to get into? Do you want to talk a little bit about what's going on politically with these governors and mayors and stuff? Do you want to jump into that briefly, or uh, we, we should we should t- we should touch on that just a little bit? Um, Two hundred sixteen U.S. mayors have signed in the um, the letter of support for solar energy. Um, the federal government obviously isn't doing a whole lot, but it seems like local local governments are really stepping up. Uh, it's tripled. The number of mayors that have signed on to this letter uh, has tripled since December of last year. And there are a lot of mayors that are I mean, they, they know they know their constituents. They know their yeah. local politics and they know where they can and can't push uh, renewables. So, yeah. And just with this kind of hits home, you know, it's like I, I don't tend to think of mayors as being grassroots, but they kind of are, you know, because they're, mm-hmm. you know, relative to the feds, relative to what's going on, on on the national stage. The mayors are there with people, you know, living their lives and seeing what's going on in communities. And we know just from speaking with Mayor Arakawa, right, that, that, that the mm-hmm. one thing he said to me was that export of uh, export of wealth in, in you know, the, 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 the oil money that we send out of here all the time is, is like one of the biggest impacts in our community. Right. So it's like they can yeah, see yeah. that on a you know around the country and in its different forms, and uh, also they talk about um, there's a quote in here which I think they know the existing infrastructure and how to adapt it to best allow solar and other forms of clean renewable energy to displace the fossil fuels that pollute our communities and make our families sick. These are neighbors helping right. neighbors to a brighter future. I thought that was pretty good stuff there. I mean, you can just see that the mayors are out there going, you know what, we gotta we gotta make these changes on our own. So we're gonna sign this letter. Well, no one else is doing it, right? <laughs> yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll have to see if uh, mayor. Uh, Victorino will sign on for that, huh? I'll have to ask him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bring him on, and we'll ask uh, him. He's, to sign he's on. already he's already been on the show once. We'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's the next one, Jay? Which one do you want to hit before we uh, move over? Uh, I so speaking of the feds, U.S. military microgrids are using more renewables and batteries than ever before. Um, energy resilience has always been a priority for the military, and you've got on air talking about this with some experiences with with naval folks over on Oahu. Yeah, um, I mean it's 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 all about supply chains, right? Well, if you could take your energy, your source of energy with you wherever you go, you don't need a supply chain to ship that into you. You're you're self-reliant, and yeah. so we're seeing more and more that these um, specifically this is this article is about the Marine Corps base in, in Myanmar uh, but but it they're they're rolling out much more solar much more PV and and being able to um, basically pop up little solar farms anywhere they go right right yeah this is like Sun Tzu the art of war kind of stuff I mean if like you, your supply chain completely compromises <laughs> your ability to project force you know the Pacific is the largest theater in the planet right and uh, yep. so you know yeah I definitely remember hearing the uh, the, the brass I suppose talk about how uh, renewable you know energy efficiencies have become kind of a strategic objective that was about three or four years ago when they made a policy shift and uh, now renewable energies and technologies are becoming more and more applicable and uh, yeah I'm sure they're doing some amazing stuff out there these days I'd love to, that, yeah. That'd be so, fun to see, check some of this stuff out, actually. Yeah. So regardless of what the uh, the, the 
political side is doing, the military side of the federal government is very interested in renewable energy. <laughs> They're like, we're going to do this well, uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 do, we're doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so a couple yeah. things happening uh, over here in Hawaii. Can we jump to this real fast? Um, yep, yep, yeah. Go. So there's definitely there's an article here from the Maui News, and it covers something we've already talked about, but uh, basically these big uh, projects that have been going in, and uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of support for it. You know, both the 15 kilowatt as well as the uh, 60 kilowatt. Uh, I'm sorry, megawatt. Did I say kilowatt? 15 megawatt yeah. project from Energex and the AES is a 60 megawatt project. And I believe Doug, Doug was mentioned here a couple of times, uh, a contributor to the Solar Coaster for sure. Uh, well, he, you did go to this this the, that that um, meeting as yep. well as uh, we aired portions of it because because you were there. Um, but there's I mean there's a lot of concern as well. I mean there's a lot of support for it, but there's a lot of concern. Um, the new uh, 2.87 over on West Maui is is very very visible. And mm. there's a lot of complaints about it. Uh, there's a lot of complaints about the new one upcountry because it borders on Maui Meadows. And people are concerned. Like, this, what, what is this really going to look like when it's done? This is the, the, the NIMBY, the NIMBY uh, discussion, right? And yeah, possibly, yeah. <laughs> possibly not in my backyard. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, it, it's a tremendous amount of, of solar panels, kind of unprecedented. So 50,000 modules, I think, uh, is the size they're talking about on the Interjects project. And a little bit more about that because I went to that meeting. Um, you know, they were discussing um, uh, it's about 250 feet from Maui Meadows. And I think that was yeah. what brought some of the contention in, you know. So they'll be discussing that. There's, you know, and Sheena Decker's uh, mentioned here in this article. She said that it's a requirement uh, for developers to reach out to the community and the residents have a chance to dialogue about this and then so we'll just have to see how it goes but this isn't going up tomorrow right this is a four-year time frame for the uh, 15 meg and for the 60 i don't know exactly but well, sure but once it's up it's going to be there for 30 plus years i mean that their their initial 25 year ppo uh or ppa ppa yeah. um is ppa is is going to expire when i mean 25 years later but i mean these these panels will operate much longer than that they expect to and and i would i mean it's just going to become a feature of the landscape the issue is how they're going to build it yeah yeah i mean you know and and in, in this case they're talking about trackers they're talking about uh we even mentioned bifacial as an idea here and we had a great great dialogue about that you know i feel like uh the the pricing though at this scale it, it seems to me the pricing has the opportunity to actually start to to bring down our electricity costs finally because at this scale it can make an impact right this is uh south of they didn't give the actual price per kilowatt hour but it is uh stable over discussion yeah, yeah. But under under uh, eight cents for straight PV, eleven cents a kilowatt hour for uh, PV plus battery, which is what that project is. Mm. So under eleven cents over twenty five years with no uh, uh, increase, no accelerator, right? So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty, so shall we uh, shall we wrap this up? I know there's oh, there, I did want to mention Marco was doing an event over in Big Island talking about uh, all the stuff that's happening over there as well with some of these new larger solar uh, systems that are going in. He's doing that. Where is he doing that one? Oh, um, He's having a forum out there. I just wanted to kind of shout out to him. He's going to give a kind of an overall discussion of how Big Island uh, could utilize some of these larger uh, uh, solar systems as well as a smart grid. He's talking about Puno Geothermal being down and, you know, how that's going to impact uh, some of these decisions in the future. So good. he continues to uh, kind of lead the way out there in Big Island. So good job, Marco. All right, so shall we uh, jump over to our commercials, and then when we get back, we're going to hear from uh, Eric Quam all about his new book about reversing climate change. Really excited to hear from him. Aloha, and welcome to Maui Solar Project. It is easy to feel rejuvenated just stepping outside on a magnificent Hawaiian day. 
Maui Solar Project is here to help harness that energy you feel in your body and use it to power your homes and businesses. As Laura tells us, Maui harnessed the sun so as to slow its path across the sky. Join Maui Solar Project as we harness the sun's energy and slow Hawaii's dependence on fossil fuels. Call Maui Solar Project at 269-2352. MauiSolarProject.org. Tsubuchi Electric, a leading worldwide inverter manufacturer, presents the second generation of the eco-intelligent battery system, the IBIS. Tsubuchi's grid-friendly system includes a high-efficiency inverter, stackable batteries, and integration with Jelly software for the most adaptable battery storage system on the market. The system is optimized for energy management and cost performance. Maximize your solar investment with Tsubuchi's electric eco-intelligent battery system. The Sonin Battery Eco is an energy storage solution that utilizes intelligent energy management software. The system is available in a variety of storage capacities and allows for expansion. Sonin Battery Eco allows you to save money by harvesting energy from your solar PV system and using that stored energy when rates are more expensive. Sonin Battery Eco is specifically designed to provide you and your family peace of mind in the event of power outage. Our unique power detection system will sense outages in real time and automatically switch over to battery power. See Sonin Battery Eco at sonin-battery.com. MIT-founded Pika Energy, makers of the Pika Energy Island, a smart energy management system that uses solar panels, lithium batteries, and intelligence to manage your energy and keep you powered even during outages. With a clean, intelligent alternative to grid power, you're in control of your energy future. Pika's Energy Island lets you manage electrical costs with HECO-ready self-supply functions. Pika's largest battery, the Harbor Plus, offers 16 kilowatt hours of stored energy and can power loads of up to 10 kilowatts. And if you need more capacity, just add a second or even third Harbor Smart battery to the same system for a maximum of 48 kilowatt hours of usable storage. Pika Energy, own your power. To learn more, visit pika-energy.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system combined photovoltaic and thermal holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. All right. Well, those were our wonderful sponsors. Thank you so much to the uh, these great companies that have kept Solar Coaster on air for 81 episodes, Jay. Oh, my goodness. Keep, keeping us in the black. There we go. There we go. I'm going to keep hitting that theme until it's <laughs> over. Come on, guys. Okay. So, folks, we're really fortunate here to have Eric Quam, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, but uh, we're going to learn all about his new book and about his work here in Hawaii in the energy space as an attorney. So, uh, Eric, are you? Uh, can you hear us okay? Are you online with us today? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm right here. Thank All you. All right. Aloha. Welcome to the Solar Coaster. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're really excited to, to hear from you and to kind of get a sense uh, uh, of what you're up to with this new book of yours and some of your background. But why don't we just start out? You know, it's kind of a it's, it's a kind of an amazing time. It's really apropos that a lot of the times the Solar Coaster works like this. You know, the timing just kind of falls into place. Today's Black Friday. Today's the, uh, the, the, the federal report uh, just came out today uh, from uh, talking about the growing impact of climate change on on the United States. We know a lot of uh, things have been come, ha, t- a lot of really intense discussions recently with the IPCC report, um, uh, probably about like maybe three weeks ago or so. So it's kind of really uh, important timing that we're having this conversation. So um, why don't we start out just with a little bit of information about you. Who are you, Eric? And what do you do? And you know, how did you get into the space? I and mean, what's your background? Okay, well, uh, thanks very much for that question. 
Uh, I, I'm a renewable energy attorney here in Hawaii. I've been practicing here in Hawaii for about 15 years. And I got into renewable energy basically going back into the 90s. I became interested in um, the, the science and the engineering of superconductors uh, and went to Columbia University, got a degree in material science there, did my own research and experimentation. This is all while being a working attorney in oh. uh, New York City. Um, from there, I developed an interest in renewable energy and specifically the, the idea of a uh, zero emissions economy. Uh, that is like a PV, uh, a PV and hydrogen type economy where uh, with zero emissions, where we get the transportation services that we want, where we get the electric power that we want, and avoid putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And um, when I came to Hawaii about 50 years ago, uh, I was interested in, well, I was working for a law firm here, um, but I was looking around saying to myself, well, um, you know, the fuel cell and the hydrogen component of that zero emissions economy is not not really happening. It's um, still in the future. But certainly PV had a very strong potential. And that was that was a few years before the, the big ramp up in portable sales and distributed PV here in Hawaii. And so I went into the PV project development business myself, developed a few large projects here in Hawaii. And... In the course of that, I grew interested like, in what's the big picture? What are the policies? What are the rules? Um, who's making the decisions? How mm -hmm. are those decisions made to increase the amount of renewable energy that we have here in Hawaii? So I call that the Hawaii microcosm. And shortly after I started um, <clears throat> my own TV project development business, I started getting involved in renewable energy dockets before the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission because it seemed natural that I'm an attorney, I understand procedures, I understand rules, I understand policies, and I wanted to take a role in shaping them. Through that process, I got to, got a pretty good look, a pretty good study over several years of especially how are the decisions made for renewable energy um, with respect to electric power. And uh, I spent six years studying that, uh, advocating for renewable energy policies in the PUC and also before the state legislature. And I didn't get anywhere. <laughs> I did not get anywhere. So may, and, may, may, inter may yeah. I interrupt you for one moment there? Sure, Because so you, you, you had said that you, you, had, you had six years here. You, you got a good sense of kind of how decisions were being made in order to mm -hmm. implement renewable energies. I mean, what are the cliff notes of that? You know, with that experience under your belt, you're looking right, you're staring it right, you know, right in the face. If for, for listeners at home right now, I mean, what, a lot of people say, hey, why don't we have, why doesn't everybody have solar panels right now? You know, just it, what, 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 what was your basic kind of takeaway, you know, from that experience? Okay, yeah. The, so the basic takeaway is this, is that, even though we've got great renewable energy options here in Hawaii and and generally, um, what the missing ingredient is that we don't have great decision-making processes so that those options actually get adopted and implemented. That's okay. the takeaway from it. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, uh, so that that was sort of the, the epiphany that I had seven years ago, and I started asking myself the question: Well, what? would a decision-making process look like that, uh, you know, by which we might swiftly achieve 100% renewable energy in Hawaii? Mm -hmm. 
And so that idea of, of what would a decision-making process look like so that we can achieve swiftly a goal of 100% renewable energy, that was basically the, the central idea of the book that I wrote. Got it. And, and, and so right now we're in an environment, you know, where Governor Ige has a 100% renewable energy mandate, right? And right. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20, 100% by 2045, right? And so uh, I've heard um, a handful of our guests and, 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 and participants in the, in the solar coaster talk about how that could be much faster. So, so are you saying that the, if, if we implement a different decision-making process that we could get there more swiftly, more aggressively? With, what, what, what time frame? Let's say that your process, which I'm sure we're going to hear about in a little bit, was in fact implemented the way you see it, the way you envision it. How quickly do you think we could achieve 100% renewable energies uh, as a state? Uh, personally, I believe it can be done in within ten years. Ten years, okay, okay, and that's uh, that mm-hmm. would be more. Aggra- we have a couple of other states around the around the country. Uh, I think it's what is it, Jay? Is it California and Colorado have one hundred percent renewable energy uh, goals uh, legislated right now? Is that the the, the only uh, other two? Colorado's yeah, Colorado's not legislated yet, but they've made that that was their new um, governor's uh, platform. Right. Okay. Okay. So we could potentially be there in 10 years. And what's the, what is the, once again, I kind of get getting down to basics here. What's the kind of core um, uh, type of process you're talking about that will accelerate it? What, 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 what's, what's that? Right. Well, the, the, the core process, well, there's a, there's a, uh, a preface to it, mm-hmm. which is having an understanding of who makes the decision. Who are the decision makers that make decisions to implement uh, renewable energy options, whether it's a utility or a government agency mm-hmm. or private enterprises? And um, uh, once one's clear on that, uh, a decision-making process, I break it down to four, uh, four questions. And the first one is uh, identifying the energy options that are available to those decision makers. Uh, the second step is evaluating the benefits um, delivered by those available energy options. The third step is comparing the benefits that are available, um, I'm sorry, that would be delivered by those energy options. And the fourth step, which is the key step, is that decision makers persuade themselves what options they want to adopt to deliver the greatest benefits for energy service users. So those are the four steps. And the last step is very key because it gets us past the problem of people uh, asserting and arguing with decision makers, adopt this option, you should do this, you should do that. Instead, it's a process by which decision makers persuade themselves, hmm, you know, this is this renewable energy option. Um, uh, pays for itself in energy cost savings. Gotcha. It delivers more wealth than gotcha. than it costs, and it avoids uh, this amount of greenhouse gas emissions compared to uh, uh, compared to non-renewable mm. options, and it delivers this amount of supply security for us here in Hawaii, and uh, it. Uh, what am I leaving out? Uh, and 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 most importantly, it performs as expected. That is, if it's electric power mm-hmm. and you're uh, adopting a renewable energy option on the grid, you maintain those crucial aspects of frequency and voltage. You know that it's got it's got to work. 
got to deliver the energy service. Gotcha. And so those are the those are the key points. Those are what I call the benefits of any given energy option. And um, but what's lacking, what's been lacking, is a decision making process for systematically evaluating those benefits in a way that they can be compared. Okay, so I think I, I think I've got got a handle on it. So you're are, are we talking here about providing the identifying who the decision makers are? And then right. providing them with a, a, a mechanism to help them um, evaluate these types of decisions. And sh- I guess you, and, and you're obviously pro-renewable uh, energy, so you're kind of um, helping them walk through the process and convince themselves. That was what kind of helped me understand it. You said you're helping them convince themselves of this decision uh, through a kind of a schematic or a, or, a, or a process by which they can kind of analyze it with something they right. might not be familiar with. Yeah, that's, that, that's essentially correct. And so the first step is having a conversation with decision makers and you know, orienting them to the idea of adopting the decision-making process. You don't get the good results of adopting renewable energy options unless the decision makers have first come into consensus that they want this kind of decision-making process. Hmm. So you kind of, you'd be kind of like a lobbyist for renewable energy in the political space. <laughs> well, I've, been an, I've been an advocate for it. Um, <laughs> Lobby yeah, is a bit of a dirty word, but I mean, it, you know, in a sense, you're kind of uh, you're helping them kind of move in this direction, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I look at it in terms of this being a conversation mm-hmm. with people, um, as opposed to me, you know, pushing my opinions and ideas mm-hmm. on them, mm-hmm. uh, inviting them to consider, you know, what might the benefits be if your utility or your company or your agency were to adopt this kind of a decision-making process. Now, now and, Eric, have you yeah. had, sorry to interrupt you, I didn't mean to do that. How, have you had an opportunity to sit down with like uh, like a Chris Lee or someone in this area that maybe is acquainted with this and kind of run him through this process yet? Is that is that something that you're actively doing presently? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I know Chris Lee. I've had many, many conversations with him and, and with other um, uh legislative leaders, uh, other uh, decision makers, and and other energy decision makers. And, you know, this kind of brings us back to what I talked about, uh, being clear about who the decision makers are. Mm. Um, And, you know, so I offer classification of that. And the the main point of this classification is to say, well, who are the primary decision makers? Um, Because in the final results, policymakers, their general role is to either approve or disapprove uh, the decisions made by the people that I call primary decision makers. Mm -hmm. Um, Primary decision makers are, for example, uh, the people at Hawaiian Electric uh, who are in the, uh, who are in either the planning or the procurement uh, of renewable energy. The people that are, that, those decisions are their responsibility at uh, Hawaiian Electric, that's a group of about 150 engineers, professionals, executives, and managers that make those decisions. Uh, so if, if they're not convinced of, to adopt something, um, then the decision never reaches a policymaker whether to uh, approve it or, or disapprove that decision. So a big part of my book, an important part of the book, is to be clear on who the decision makers are, who those primary decision makers are, and um, and so for a government agency, say a, uh, a, a transit agency, a government-run transit agency, again, the they make decisions about 
um, what energy options they're going to procure to run their transit system. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another group of decision makers. And the same goes for private enterprises that you know, um, provide their renewable energy options in the, in the marketplace. So they have the decision about what energy options do we design and market that our customers are going to want to buy. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're primary decision makers as well, as long as they're primary decision makers as well. You know, Eric, uh, the, um, I'm, I'm just kind of reviewing while we're talking here on the Hill. Dot com. Uh, there is this article uh, that was just put out uh, recently, I think, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Time today. Uh, mm-hmm. Federal report sounds alarm on f- growing impact of climate change. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the announcement on the kind of like, like the quietest news day is a, is a little bit controversial. But the very, the very last mm-hmm. sentence in this article says, while most of the information in this report is known by climate scientists, the report's intention is to propose solutions and possible actions for policymakers. And so this is kind of what you're doing, right? This, is, this report's kind of a very similar type of thing. Um, and, you know, they're, they're talking here about some pretty, it's pretty aggressive language here. The report states emphatically global warming exists and it is mm-hmm. a threat to humankind's survival. I mean, they're not pulling mm-hmm. any punches in this language. And they go into some of the specifics and they keep it pretty mm-hmm. straightforward. But, I mean, this, the, the conversation that you're having right now is arguably one of the most important ones that's, that should be having, we should be having today, right now, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Jay. I, I, <laughs> no, I, absolutely. I, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and, and that's, it's very indicative. I mean, we've definitely seen that since the publication of the IPCC report, uh, that it's become, it's become safe for more people, especially policymakers, um, right. to say that, you know, this isn't speculative. This is happening now. Um, here in Oahu, we have a, uh, an office of, of uh, sustainability, climate change, and resiliency, uh, mm-hmm. part of the city and county of Honolulu city government. Uh, they've been having a series of, of climate change planning uh, uh, meetings, you know, uh, throughout the island of Oahu, very well attended. People want to contribute; they want to be part of that conversation. And uh, and it's and it's reports like like the one you cited, like the IPCC report, that are that are that are bringing people out. They're thinking about. It. They want to contribute. They want to be part of the conversation and part of the solution. Right, right, right. Yeah, this this is just a, um, geez, it's such an uh, unbelievable time here. You know, we're looking at there's there's all of these things that are happening around the world, around the country, around our own environment, right? And when we were talking about our news and events section, Jay and I were kind of dialoguing. We were like, man, we really should try to find a piece of evidence on the global scale, the national scale, and the local scale, and try to just kind of bring that right to home. But I mean, it, like as an example, one thing that's pretty straightforward to me is what's happening with the fires in California. We got a bunch of friends and family that are literally here right now. And I, I saw an article the other day, it said that the, the, the worst um, air quality in the world right now is in the Bay Area. I mean, it's just unbelievable to think that that's what's going on out there. Um, and all of these things are, you know, presumably tied in some way to climate change. So what is the, um, how do we accelerate this process? How do we do exactly what you're talking about here? Eric, um, what is our what is the next step? What can people at home do? What can what can right. we do? I mean, what, what this is this has got to get out of the dialectic at one point and get really into the point where we're starting to take serious action uh, for for a lot of reasons, for a lot of obvious reasons. Well, I, I, I agree with you, and that's uh, the uh, that's the second last chapter from the book. It's also the opening of the book, which is you know what um, what can people do, and uh, I boil it down to 
to three qualities of uh, three qualities that any person can bring to this conversation. And the first one, I, I call it asking the right questions. And in my book, I talk about what the right questions might look like. So anyone can ask the right questions. And that's, that's a chapter in the book, what might those right questions look like. The second one I call making a decision, uh, specifically making a consensus decision, um, either being uh, part of a group of decision-making people or influencing and conversing with people that are that are the types of decision makers that I spoke about before, inviting them to consider uh, what kind of decision making process might benefit them and benefit everybody, uh, uh, and that's the decision making process that I discussed before. And the third, the third aspect. I mean, this is these are all I call them powers of mind that every person is hardwired to do to ask questions to uh, make consensus decisions. And the third one, I call it successful solution imitating. Successful solution imitating, which means that to the extent that we can achieve uh, 100% renewable energy here in Hawaii, we demonstrate that it can be done in a way that it pays for itself. Uh, we can demonstrate the, the massive reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, um, and we can demonstrate that the electric grid still works, that people get where they want to in a timely fashion if it's transportation. To the extent we demonstrate that, uh, we don't have to work so hard at persuading decision makers around the world to adopt our decision-making mm. process. The results speak for themselves. The success of our solution speaks for itself, and then they find it much easier to imitate that solution, gotcha. to uh, adapt it for their particular um, place and time. And so that's the, the kind of trajectory that I try to outline in the book. But I bring it home to, in, in terms of those three uh, qualities that every person who's concerned can, can use. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for that. I have two questions. One is, do you think that... Um, do you think that 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 Hawaii enjoys a, 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 a unique space in the world in terms of our opportunity to deploy and, and kind of transition to 100% renewable energies in a very very fast uh, time frame at this time in the in the world? I mean, do you think that's kind of unique? Are there any other areas out there in, in the world that you see that are doing that have a similar kind of opportunity? That's one question. And then the other question I have is, is it too far gone? And I hate to hate to be the one to have to ask that question. But I mean, Jay, you know, is it possible? Yeah, no, we're, we're, even, right? even if even if we ceased all global man-made CO2 emissions today, we'd still be on track for a 1.1 degree Fahrenheit global rise. So you know, <laughs> this is really a key piece of this discussion because we're talking about. Yeah. So what do you think about those two 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 uh, questions, Eric? Well, OK. So the first question, yes, Hawaii has quite special. Hawaii has especially an special abundance of uh, renewable energy options, again, that could be uh, adopted, um, you know, off the shelf, and that would pay for themselves. They wouldn't come with an economic cost attached to them. Mm-hmm. So the answer to the first question is definitely yes. Um, I addressed the second question in my book, and I addressed it in terms of what are called feedback loops. What we're seeing is this inexorable rise, and it's certainly urgent. It's absolutely urgent. Um, uh, that a solution uh, in the form of a method for reversing global warming uh, be adopted as quickly as possible to um, first arrest 
the growth in greenhouse gas emissions and then to reverse it. Um, the, the steep rise that we're seeing, it's accelerating. I mean, you know, global emissions, annual global greenhouse gas emissions continue to rise. Okay, they're not they're not leveling off. They're still rising, and the uh, the rate of excel- the um, rate of warming has accelerated during the first during the last ten years. It's been accelerating from a baseline um, uh, medium of about sixty years, but during the last ten years, it's risen about as much as the last as the fifty years preceding that. Mm. So, um, uh, so we're seeing that. And that's because what we're seeing are the, the what are called the uh, the negative feedback loops that are reinforcing that. You get the global warming, and then you get you get uh, melting of permafrost and release of methane into the atmosphere, and all these things are causing the acceleration of global warming. So the idea, you know, I can't predict how long it's going to take to reverse global warming, but the extent that we do everything we can to um, uh, adopt renewable energy options, achieve 100% renewable energy, basically we're buying time. And what we're buying time for are all of the other positive feedback loops that exist in the biosphere. Ah, um, oh, this our is interesting understanding, here. Our understanding, okay, of the feedback loops that are in the biosphere not just the atmosphere, but you know, the ground and, and the water, et cetera, is, well, the way I say it in the book is that these feedback loops are so dense and so complex and so subtle that they're really beyond our management. They're even beyond our knowledge. Um, but what we can do is the feedback loops that we do have are under control, which are the ways in which human beings use energy, um, to to do as much as we can with the ones that are under our control to buy time for the positive feedback loop, which we don't know about, to actually arrest the global warming and 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 then ultimately reverse reverse it. So there's a bit of faith here. There's a bit of faith, yeah, in, in that there's <laughs> that there's uh yeah, and the, the complexity of the uh the, the did you call it the biosphere? Is that what you called it? I, I talked about the feedback loops that are in the biosphere. Right. It's easy to get obsessed over the, the acceleration of global warming, and that's happening because human beings are pouring more and more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere every year. Our, our, it's accelerating. Okay. So, you know, we need a, we need a decision-making, I suggest, I propose in my book, that um, a decision-making process for, again, uh, first, you know, that leads to the adoption of renewable energy options that first uh, deeply reduce the amount of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, and then you know, and then counting on the feedback loops to, to you know take it from there. Okay, I thank you so much for that exp- explanation. It's really fascinating. The uh, you know, so what I see here is you, you're going to publish this book, right? And what is the title of the book, uh, Eric? The, t- the title is Designing a Method for Reversing Global Warming. Okay, designing a method for reversing global warming. And do you have any uh, plans on when you're going to uh, release this book? Is it available now? Uh, or I, I'm hoping to publish it in January of 2019. Okay, time is of the essence, yeah. right? So, Absolutely. <laughs> and then, um, what would you like to see happen 
with the publishing of this book. I mean, I, I, when I, I'm imagining the way what you're describing, I almost see you counseling, uh, you know, decision makers in different parts of the country, maybe like rank ordering the ones that need the most support. I mean, how do you see yourself playing a role? Is it is it here in Hawaii? Are you looking to get on the road and talk about it nationally or globally, or what? What do you? What do? You, how do you? I mean, given what we just said about the uh, the the um, the timeliness and the 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 extent of, of, of the acceleration of this, what, how do you put yourself to to best purpose right now? Yeah, well, it, it, it's much the latter. Um, it's basically transitioning from from my my career as a renewable energy attorney into a, into a career as a speaker and writer on the subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the way to make to reach the most people and have the biggest impact. Um, uh, you know, it's it's not a matter of changing minds; it's just a matter of of you know suggesting, of proposing, of inviting people into a conversation. Again, what might a method, what might a decision-making process look like for reversing global warming? Because right now, you know, people are aware of the problem. Uh, the discussion revolves around options, but what the discussion does not revolve around yet is, is decisions, among, decisions among the available options. And that's where, that's where I feel I can play a role. Excellent. Well, I mean, Jay, do you have any other uh, uh, pieces here you'd like to jump in on? Or no, I've not been pretty quiet because I'm I'm very cynical about the conversation. I think that everybody's basically going to do whatever's cheapest, and the reason why private industry and stuff don't make these decisions quicker is because there's not enough incentive, which is government's job. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 common perspective, um, uh, and. Uh, you know, my the way I, I look at it is that, and, and this is born out of you know literally thousands of hours of conversations with people say at our at our local utility, Wine Electric, and and with other decision makers, is that um, you know they're they're accustomed to doing things in the way that they've been trained to do them. Um, so this idea of doing a uh, of of creating uh, a decision make a different decision making process is um, again the, the whole topic presents is very complex I mean take any collection of, of stories about renewable energy and it's really difficult to get a big picture to step back from it and get a big picture and, and when I stood back from it the big picture I got was that um, the decision makers that who we want to make the decision to um, uh, accelerate renewable energy, to achieve 100% renewable energy, um, they uh, they don't yet have a decision-making process to do that. So in the absence of that, uh, they tend to do what they've been doing, what they've been trained and taught to do. So it's a challenging conversation to have with people, you know, to say, and, and and if one is to, you know, talk to say, a utility engineer and say, "Well, you should do this. Um, you know, you should do, you should adopt uh, Eric's idea of a decision-making process." It's like they're going to resist that. So that's why I, I back off from that. Um, the book is framed in terms of, of here's what you might consider. You know, please consider this. Um, let's have a conversation about that. Um, it's it's the same process that one goes through to you know, sell a TV system. You uncover, uncover their objections, uh, demonstrate the benefits, um, and you never, you don't argue. 
One doesn't argue with people. It doesn't. It just increases resistance. So, you know, there's a tone uh, to the to my book, uh, uh, designing a method for reversing global warming, that uh, doesn't give the opportunity. Doesn't give people the opportunity to uh, uh, be cynical. Like it's just we're just having a conversation, and you know, we're still going to be, you know, friends after after the conversation, whatever you decide. You know what I, I, I like about this? Uh, it reminds me, Jason, of the, um, and Erica, of the messaging conference they had at SPI this year with the different, um, the, talking about different demographics across the country that are, that where, where solar is, uh, you know, kind of universally beneficial to everyone. And that it's not just the, uh, the Prius and the latte guy. And it is also the F-150 and the Bud Light guy. And that they, they share a common, uh, a lot of commonality there. Right. So if you can have a, a non-confrontational, uh, uh, conversation, a process, a way of making decisions over Thanksgiving dinner, for example, with, <laughs> with the crazy uncle or whatever, you know, uh, then it can be a, a really healthy thing and get us further down the road. Uh, well, can't thank you enough, Eric. It's been great to have you on board, and I think we really kind of distilled down what you're doing here. Uh, where can people keep uh, keep it find you? Do you have a website or something they can check you out? You know, I'm building my website right now. It'll be called ericquam.com, uh, E-R-I-K-K-V-A-M.com. Got it. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so ho- hopefully it'll be up in a few weeks. Fantastic. So keep a look out for Eric Fom, Klom, uh, folks. Uh, this has been The Solar Coaster. Uh, we are sponsored by Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi, Electric America, Sonin, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. It's been a really great show. Thank you both. And uh, yeah, Jay, you want to have closing words? Yeah, have a great uh, black rest of the month. <laughs> Don't buy too much stuff, folks. All right. Aloha Friday.